folks there reading. I'm Livius Nudden. And I'm Rob Olson. Uh, this episode, we're going to be interviewing Frank Bill. And before we get into that, I'm just going to give you his bio really quick. He is the author of the story collection Crimes in Southern Indiana, which is one of GQ's favorite books of 2011, and a Daily Beast debut of 2011. Best debut of 2011. He lives and writes in Southern Indiana, and Donnybrook is his first novel. Frank, thanks for taking time out of a busy, busy um, promoting schedule to come on and talk to us here at Booked. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's been busier than normal. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, to get started, uh, we reviewed Donnybrook uh, on a recent episode, uh, but we always like to give the authors, when we have them on for an interview, an opportunity to just kind of talk about it in their own words. So uh, if you had to explain uh, what Donnybrook is to someone, what would you say? Other than working, working class strife, it's basically uh, just it's about different individuals coming from different aspects of, uh, I guess, a working class background. And some have failed, some have it, and they're all kind of working towards one goal in a sense, and that is to kind of better for themselves. Um, you know, the, the main character, which is supposed to be Jarhead Earl, is working to uh, – to get to the Donnybrook, he needs money to get there, which is a three-day bare-knuckle boxing tournament in uh, in in uh, Southern Indiana, and uh, he actually lives in Hazard, Kentucky. But anyway, he ends up robbing somebody, and he has all kinds of uh, mischief that gets in his way to get to the Donnybrook. Um, the other character, who's actually when I wrote the first original draft, was uh, Chainsaw Angus. He was basically my guy to root for, which I'm not. I'm not big on people to root for. I'm just more about character characterization. So uh, anyway, he's just a guy who's who was a really good fighter, had a chainsaw accident with uh, a chainsaw, of course, and uh, sunk his father's logging business. And his way to kind of get ahead in life is decided to start selling uh, crystal meth, actually cooking and selling it. So uh, everybody's kind of there's some other characters, of course, but those are the main guys, and they're all kind of. Uh, working towards the Donnybrook, which Chainsaw Angus had no means to really get there. It just kind of happens that he has to get some meth back that got stolen from him, and there's kind of a little bit of revenge and everything there. But, you know, the the whole purpose of the story was, when I wrote it, was around 2009 is when I started working on it and finished it, and everything was kind of, it's kind of like when everything was kind of collapsing. You know, it's when housing market was falling in, jobs were disappearing, uh, and a lot of that played into it, especially from my area, so... It's interesting that you mentioned, because um, on our episode, we'd said that, you know, the, the closest thing to a protagonist is probably Jarhead. Um, but it's funny because the transition through the book towards the end, I wasn't so sure anymore that he was the only protagonist because it seemed like like Chainsaw, um, like there was probably a little more like the deeper you got into the book, you liked him better. Like he was really kind of came off as a villain at the beginning. But towards the end, I started feeling more like he was a protagonist as well. Yeah, I mean, if you people have asked me this before i mean you know what people always talk about somebody to root for and i just feel like that's a formula i don't like formulas to write with you know to me if you've got a good character the character is what leads your story anyway you know you don't have you know if the character is boring he's gonna have boring surroundings you know he's gonna be a boring person but if he's an interesting character regardless of how bad and awful he is there's things you can bring out about him that are so human you can't help but watch it you know or read it i mean it's it's no different than watching court TV and they've got serial murders on there and people get interested. I mean, court TV's not going anywhere anytime soon. You know, I'm, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And even 
things like, uh, I guess, like uh, maybe it's an A&E or Discovery Channel that do the different documentaries on different types of people from different shades of life. I mean, they wouldn't do those if people didn't watch them. I mean, it's kind of the same when you write a story. But for Chainsaw, yeah, the, the thing was is because of the characterization, you kind of get embedded in him. And towards the end, you, I mean, when I was writing, it was kind of like I got the feel for him because – other than knowing on the page, there was a lot of human emotions as to this is what somebody would do as far as being self-centered. And if this is what they're after in life or this is the situation they're in, this is the way that they would handle it or that's how I would think they would handle it. So you kind of get drawn into that, mm -hmm. stepping outside of your what you know is right and doing what's wrong <laughs> to <laughs> kind of make things right, you know, in that sense, if that makes sense. I got to hand it to you that uh... – Angus and the and the decisions he made um, were admirably right on to what I thought someone who was in a very selfish place would do. I was like, that's pretty. Yeah, I thought it was it, it was really well done. Thank you. Uh, I, I can't. <laughs> you talking about the setting of the book just totally reminded me of a couple conversations that Livius had and, and and I had. And this is totally off topic, but uh, ha Hazard, Kentucky. Uh, when I was growing up, my stepfather, his family is actually from Hazard, Kentucky, and so I'd spent some time down there. And reading the book, I, I love it when I have like a, a memory to draw from for setting and everything. And sure. and I mean, I was down there when I was like nine or ten. I don't remember any of it. And I was like kicking myself, like trying to remember, you know, this this experience I had in Hazard, Kentucky to see if I could kind of build like a memory for for, for going through the scene. And uh, Livius, too, had recently been down there. So I just yeah, just brought brought that to mind. Yeah, you know, I had a lot of. Uh... I had friends that lived down in that area, and uh, actually, I uh, can you still hear me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. The uh, I had a lot of friends that lived down there, and uh, it's kind of I mean it's like basically it's coal country in a sense. You know, if you don't work in the coal mines, you don't have any place to work. Um, but it's also it's just beautiful country. Yeah. But uh, <sighs> two, <laughs> one of the guys that I trained with lived down there. And it was a place I drove back and forth to uh, once a week. And it was about a, I guess it's about three and a half, four hour haul from where I live. So you could imagine <laughs> I had a lot of time to think mm. when I was going back and forth. But, you know, eventually when I quit training, um, of course, the reason I did at the time was just because I started writing more. So writing kind of took over and picked up on everything, you know, and when I, I mean, that was probably in 2000, you know, it took me a long time to get to the point where I could actually write a good story. <laughs> but that was just one of those things that I drew from because I knew it so well, you know, and, uh, in a sense, uh, the guy I trained with, I mean, in a sense, yeah, I guess he is kind of Jarhead Earl because he was a guy, he wasn't a bare knuckles box or anything, but he was a really good martial artist. And, uh, he had kids and been married a couple of times and kind of down on his luck kind of guy. You know, but the one thing he always enjoyed was martial arts and training and stuff. So I kind of drew from that in a sense. Um, and then um, the guy that we actually was the teacher down there was actually from China. Uh, he studied the temples, and uh, he's kind of who Fu is based on, almost hook and center, <laughs> as far as the way he looks and everything. He wasn't uh, an evil demented guy and keep people in his basement <laughs> or anything like that. But uh, he was, you know. He was a pharmacist and acu acupuncturist, bone setter, and he had all these wild and crazy stories he'd tell you from when he had studied the temples as a kid and growing up. And 
he trained the Wushu team when he got older. And I mean, he was just a really interesting guy, really nice guy too. But it was kind of odd. People always come off kind of saying like, well, how would you have a Chinese man, you know, in, in, in this rural setting? And I'm like, well, you could trust me because I've been there, you know, I mean, it's not too far fetched, but, uh, that's where a lot of that came from. Yeah. As, as Rob had mentioned, I'd been to Hazard, Kentucky twice and it was just so interesting. It, it was weird when Rob had figured out that we'd both been there for completely separate reasons. Cause it's very small, you know, small town, but in the read it in the book too, was kind of interesting. My, uh, my girlfriend's family was from there. So I've been down there a couple of times. But um, I'm glad that you mentioned Fu, and that that took care of one of our future questions. But I'm kind of kind of tie this next one into it. Um, you know, we avoided talking about some things in our review in order to keep it spoiler free. But sure, you had a little sure. bit of a of a supernatural twist that you added into the book. How did you? How did that come to you? So we just heard about how Fu ended up in it, but how did that kind of supernatural twist end up? Um, this will be a really nice one for you then. Um, growing up. <laughs> this is funny. I had this, I, don't know, I, was, I guess I had a really good childhood as far as storytelling goes and people to draw from. My, uh, my great aunt was a, uh, I guess you call her a medium. <laughs> she, or she proclaimed to be, she made really good money doing it. Um, it's my, my grandmother's older sister and, uh, she didn't live around here. She lived in Colorado and she'd always come in like sometime during the middle of the summer. It was like a big, big, family gathering but she'd come in and she always drove a really nice lincoln town car and she'd always bring all the clothes that she had because she'd already bought new clothes i mean i'm talking garbage bags full she's about to fill the car up with them <laughs> she always <laughs> you know she goes a tanning bed had the long fingernails all painted up and her eyebrows always done all that all that kind of stuff but she'd she would come in and she'd always read everybody's we you know we have a big cookout and everything big big country fiesta basically but uh and she would always tell everybody's fortune and I mean, God, we had done that since since I could remember. Um, she was even on David Letterman like twice, I think. Um, hmm. Her name was Aunt Nell. That's what it was called. Her was Nell, but she changed her name to Juanita Windwalker. <laughs> 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 but uh, she was in the National Enquirer a few times for stuff that she'd done. But she was uh, she was an herbalist too. But she was always it's just one of those things. You know, when you're a kid, you're thinking this lady's fucking nuts. <laughs> you know? and, then when you get older, kind of like, you know, she was my family. And she, you know, you start looking back on stuff like that, you know, like, cause you know, people do that on the late night infomercials, you know, that was a big thing for a long time, but, uh, she passed away. Oh God, probably 10, 15 years ago. But it's just one of those things you kind of, you know, you can always draw from a lot of things that I know and just kind of flip flop it around, turn it upside down. But that's, that's, that's where that character came from. That's awesome. <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> it's pretty wild uh i mean i think she even wrote a book but i've my cousins and i have tried to find it i mean we had copies when we were kids of course it was a hardback i think that she had written i don't know how she i don't know if somebody published it or she self-published it or what it was but she uh she made money doing it i mean she made a, a really nice living doing it but you know this was probably back in the mid 80s to mid 90s you know through there when that that type of stuff was really really hot you know it was because of, you know, because of cable TV and satellite and everything, you know, you could, and of course, internet, you know, you could start to spread the word about stuff. And, you know, it, for whatever reason, people who live in rural areas are always into infomercial type shit. I mean, they'll <laughs> sell their soul to, to Jesus and everything 
something else and the person they're selling it to probably didn't have anything to do with Jesus, but you know, they just made a lot of money off of you. You know, it's, it's one of those kind of things. I always, that's how I always looked at it. It's kind of crazy, you know, uh, not that religion is crazy, but it can be, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, the infomercial type things, promising salvation for a thousand dollars or whatever you can donate tonight for <laughs> yep, yeah. while the hotline's open, that kind of thing. So, but she, you know, she kind of hit when the market was hot for being a medium, you know, whether she really was or not, I, I don't know. I mean, she proclaimed to be, you know, but like I said, I was young. So it was just one of those, those memories that you just always latch on to, you know, and just kind of draw from. It was that's... a very nice touch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, and, and, and the thing about it is, all right. So in our review, at least, and I think I've seen it in a couple other places, uh, like I, like we said, we weren't expecting it, uh, you know, that kind of a twist to the story, but like, obviously it was a very good part of the story. Um, sure. Is that the general reception or are you getting any kind of like negative reception to that kind of uh, element? No, I mean, it's, there was, I mean, there's any of the, the reviews that have been negative. It's just been overall, they didn't like anything about the book yet. They would tear every scene apart. So <laughs> they, you know, if you read it from beginning, usually if I don't like a book, I don't finish it. So, you know, there's something that kept somebody turning pages yeah. to the end in order to turn around and give me a bunch of shit. So, but yeah, I've not had, had any, any, uh, quarrels with, with that. It's usually the quarrels that have usually been just the book overall, you know, cool. these are nasty and horrible characters. Now, you know, I could just spend one minute with them and I don't, the ending's so far fetched, that kind of stuff. And it's kind of like, okay, well you read the whole damn thing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's something we don't think about, but it's a convenience we no longer have because once we commit to reading a book, no matter how bad it is, we have to get all the way through it for the sure, podcast. Sure, sure, yeah. So right. But I, I do remember that. the days of saying, man, I'm 30 pages in and I'm not going to read anymore, and I kind of miss that sometimes now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all in. We don't have a choice anymore. But uh, Well, that's good to hear because, uh, yeah, I thought that, like like I said, having read crimes in southern Indiana and, like, um, you know, having, I even, I'm sorry, not even that, but just reading the synopsis of the book, you know, you pretty much kind of have an idea, but then like you throw in things like foo and stuff and it's like, wow, you know, these are just like, like unexpected little bonuses. Cool. Glad you got it. Cool. <laughs> I'm glad you liked it too. <laughs> so you've mentioned a follow up to Donnie Brook. How do you ideally envision the, the bigger story? And what, what do you expect this to turn into? Is there a number of books you have in mind? or? Um, I'm not for sure. I mean, I know I've got two more um, that, I've, that I've signed on to write. Um, and I basically had, had written, you know, parts of each of them and passed them on to see if anybody was interested. And it was kind of like, yeah, they were interested. So that was, that was good. One of the things I'd always wanted to do was basically take some of the, the characters who are in crimes and just kind of expand on them on backstory and stuff. Um but with like with Donnie Brook, one of the things that I had started writing about was uh, Jarhead Earl's father, like back in the '80s and '90s. Actually, it might be closer through like maybe the '90s to 2000, because I always have to figure out um, an age group where it actually sounds not far fetched for what the person's doing, but it's it's more of uh, just a, it's about a Vietnam War vet who was a Marine, and it's basically based on a lot of things my father went through. But the guy gets mixed up into some really horrendous shit and doesn't really know what he's mixed up into. You know, he's a working class guy who works at a factory like myself, and he's dealing with uh, the whole BS of being a blue collar worker and struggling to get by and having to deal with everybody's BS while having 
uh, flashbacks and things to the war. And uh, I wrote about 100 pages of that. And uh, it's it's kind of like the way I, I explained it to my agent. And of course, after she read part of it, she liked my pitch. So she kept that and used it. It was uh, kind of like uh, Blood Simple meets Apocalypse Now, that kind of thing. It's just got a really crazy, hairy twist to it. The actual follow-up to Donnybrook, um, I've written the first part of it, and it's actually going to be like three parts in one book. Um, and it's actually introducing newer characters, and those newer characters come across the old characters that actually live from Donnybrook. And uh, it's just going to be a much bigger book, and probably just as much action, but just more pages. <laughs> <laughs> Still just as much mayhem, but there's more, I guess, you know, from book to book, you kind of grow, or as you write more, you kind of grow. So there's a, a bigger storytelling aspect to it. You know, my voice, I'm going to say my voice has changed. It's probably gotten a little stronger, or at least I think it has. You know, it's matured, I guess is the word. Um, as a writer, you know, my editor was very happy with what he read. So that's always a, a plus. But it's more about uh, the values and things that people have lost, you know, the things that we, that our fathers and grandfathers had, had and our aunts and uncles, and maybe even our great aunts and uncles and great-grandfathers and all the things that they struggled to give us and how we've all kind of just lost that, you know. Um, just simple things like planting a garden, living from, you know, living from the land, hunting, fishing, that type of stuff. And uh, just little common sense rules, that, that kind of thing. So, But uh, I haven't decided on who, who all is going to make it through the book. I know, you know, of course, Jarhead will be in it. Um, Y'all remember Manny who had the uh, dogs, his son will mm-hmm. be in it. He's a, a big part of it. And then, uh, of course, Scar and her militia and some of the guys that ran the bars are part of her militia. And then uh, uh, a young boy who's in the opening, which it took me a while to do about three or four drafts before I could really get a, a good mindset on his age. So he's like late teens to early 20s just because of a lot of the things that, that goes on in the book. But he's kind of like the main protagonist throughout the book. Um, though he just deals with part one and part two introduces another character. It's all part three is about how all those characters emerge and all hell breaks loose. So, hmm. um, I didn't know it was going to be a follow-up and I, did, I hadn't planned on writing a sequel to it. It's just that after I finished writing Donnybrook, I had sat down and I wrote about 10,000 words, which was about this kid and all these things that he inherited from his father and how they were like all these things that people no longer know how to do. You know, it's things that, fathers don't teach their sons anymore and uh i set it off the side because i got like i said i got about ten thousand words into it and i thought ah, i don't know i don't really know if this is where the the the, the way that i want to go and i started working on the vietnam novel and got about 100 pages in it and put it off the side and came back to ten thousand words and said this is pretty damn good and <laughs> ten thousand words turned into about forty-five thousand words and i was like there's my first part and Plus, I'd also, by this time, I'd finished doing all the edits and copy edits on Donnybrook, so there was a lot of things turning in my head as far as, you know, what I, well, what else I could do and and uh, if I could do it. And whenever I actually sat down and started going back and forth with the, the, some of the last edits on Donnybrook, I'm like, yeah, I can, that's what this is. So that's basically what it turned into. Very cool. Really quickly, before I ask my next question, I want to say that it's awesome that you said uh, the characters that actually survived from Donnybrook. <laughs> yes, that's that's a little bit of a spoiler, I guess. But uh, <laughs> in 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 our review, there, there's still a lot of them that survive. I mean, main characters survive for the most part. 
I, I and you kind of answered this a little bit, but um, in when we reviewed Donnybrook, we talked about your story in both barrels, which I can't remember the title of it, but uh, it introduces or it talks, it, it involves some characters that are uh, in Donnybrook very, very briefly. And um, so it got me thinking about uh, how, what to what length do you like to incorporate characters from other pieces and everything? So I think you kind of said that, but um, is it just that you, uh, I guess my question after all this long winded stuff is, uh, is it this that you there's more to their story and you want to get it out there or is it that you really like the idea of tying in stuff that you've kind of built separately it's a little bit of both because I you know when I had finished Donningbrook there was a lot of things I kept wanting to write like backstories like I wanted to write I wanted to write a novella about gravel just because of the oh, way they gravel. Love that you know, gravel. because you know when I originally wrote about him I couldn't decide if he was going to be a guy that would make it to Donnybrook. He'd be Angus's buddy, and I thought, oh, this would be like somebody walking around with sling blade. I said, it's not going to make sense. You know, there has to be some other... I just couldn't figure out how to do it. Or, can't say figure out how to do it. It just, when I would write it, it just didn't seem right. So, the way that it ended is the way it ended. But then it was like, you know, I wanted more about him and how he lived and some criminalities about him, possibly, you know, for people who possibly maybe trespass on his land, because that's the way he lives, and just you know, because he's kind of an eerie figure, but at the same time, he's he's got this—I don't know what you would call it—like a frontiersman type type aura to him. You know, um, and the thing with Fu, I wanted his kind of like have some of his backstory about where he came from, and he just wasn't necessarily just like a hitman type collector kind of guy. You know, he actually, for all his <laughs> his deviances, you know. He, he actually was, you know, a teacher of martial arts, and there was something big, something bigger that he was trying to teach people, you know. Kind of almost like, uh, I guess in a sense, kind of like Dexter in a sense. But, I mean, you know, when I was writing this, I had – I've never read any of the Dexter stuff. But I had, you know, I'd never even heard of Dexter, you know, as far as television stuff goes. I don't even think it was on in 2009. So it was just – it was just all those ideas you have floating in the back of your head. And then what made it into the novel – was basically notes I had to turn into short stories. I, I think I wrote two short stories on Foo. Mm-hmm. I've never written that novella that I want, I'd like to write on Gravel. So, Gravel, by far, one of my favorite parts of Donnybrook. Um, and, the, and the whole Foo character, I think a lot of what came through with that was just like, yeah, like you said, no matter what criminalities uh, about him, like there's an honor or an integrity to the way he, he lives his life. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's like a code. That's <laughs> yeah. just the way that he lives. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So throughout crimes in southern Indiana and Donnybrook, your portrayal of that kind of small town southern life is is really pretty bleak. Um, do you ever receive negative feedback from you know your your neighbors from from the people from those communities? Uh, I see it in reviews sometimes, but nobody like directly, you know, a lot of people who come to readings, um, and even like people who know me, they're kind of like, you know, you nail it because people never think about what happens when you turn down the back road. She says, you know, um, he or she will say things like that. You know, it's kind of like nobody really realizes that there's still people out there that live a certain way and don't really dwell on technology and they do whatever they want to do to get by and they're just kind of creepy, but that's just the way they look live and that's just i don't necessarily look at them as creepy it's just kind of your because you can't be judgmental when you write about somebody you've got to just kind of flesh them out and 
use whatever type of description you can to get the most out of it so somebody actually either either gets one repulsed which doesn't bother me that means i got through to somebody you know um or it gives them nightmares or whatever but you know you're trying to get something across to somebody you want them to see it feel i've said this before see it feel it taste it smell it what have you and uh people still live that way you know that's i think one of the, one of the things i've i have uh indirectly it was never actually pointed to me but um one of the uh it was a trade show i'd went to and apparently somebody there was complaining that it was going to kill tourism in indiana according to indiana because i'd written crimes in southern crimes in southern indiana <laughs> and you know one of the a couple of the booksellers are just kind of like you know fuck that this is a good book and they're like ah you know but people aren't going to go to the capital anymore blah blah you know, or where the original state capital was, that kind of thing. It's kind of like, you know, the whole point of that book, it's not a tourist fucking book. It's a book of short stories. <laughs> and, you know, I can't, if they want to go to the capital, go to the capital. You know, if they want to see the other side, they, I'd be more than glad to give them a ride somewhere. You know, I can sit here and show you. I mean, I've got, you know, one of the things I do when I write a lot of times or when I'm starting out news, I'll take pictures of stuff, you know, just to kind of help when I get back to the desk. It's kind of like it brings back things that maybe I've forgotten about. Um, I passed some of those on to uh, uh, Midwestern Gothic. I think there there were some newer photos that are on there. Um, I didn't think anybody would really be interested in them, but but they took some of them. But you know, it's just basically say, hey, you know, there's a realism to what I write, and you know, it's not about tourism. <laughs> you know, I'm not writing a tourist book. <laughs> we're, we're anxiously awaiting love stories in Southern Indiana. After hearing that, maybe yeah. thought you'd go a different direction, <laughs> bring bring the tourism back. Yeah. Uh, they so, don't need my help. <laughs> crimes in Southern Indiana bed and breakfasts. There you go. Uh, <laughs> just really quickly, uh, when we were kind of talking back and forth to set this up, uh, you mentioned a, a new tattoo that was going to be kind of timely. Anything, anything specific about that, or is this just uh, one in the collection? Because I know you've uh, you've got a few that I've seen. <laughs> yeah, it's just more of me adding on to. I'm trying to get this. I'm trying to get quarter sleeves on both arms, and I've. I'm a big fan of uh, Hiroshi the Third. That's what I said. I'm not sure if that's how I pronounce his name correctly. He's a he's a Japanese uh, tattoo artist. I really fell in love with a lot of his artwork because he he does basically does the Japanese yakuza. He does the mob. He's he's done all those guys. But uh, he's got several different books. You should really check him out of just his artwork. Um, you can actually pull up just some of the tattoo pictures because the books are actually really expensive. They're like three or four hundred dollars. But Ooh. and he's got a but you can you can basically do different. Uh, you know google searches for him but uh i'm really fond of like he's got like uh, i think it's 108 heroes or 100 heroes of the saduki or sudoku probably totally destroying the japanese language here um (laughs) (laughs) i think it's 108 ghosts maybe that's what it is and then the other one's 100 heroes and then uh the other thing he did is called uh the namakubi which is based with the severing of heads and uh I'm really fond of that. I've got like three or four different heads that's been tattooed on my body now that are basically from the, the uh, artwork that he's done. So I was just getting another head this weekend. <laughs> I was getting more head. That's what I was getting. <laughs> but, but no, he does really, I mean, it's just graphic. It's graphic, but beautiful, if that makes sense, you know. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I've probably got one more to get on my right arm of him, and then we'll start working on how to, to sleeve it in as far as, you know, the in-between type stuff. Yeah. We were talking about uh, your busy schedule that you've had lately with promoting and traveling for that. And, yeah. Um, and I said that you probably deserve to get a tattoo and uh, have a cookout 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, the only person, my, I have my two brother-in-laws, we have, to, well, we haven't got to really spend a whole lot of time together lately, but one works for the railroad, and he was going to try to make it over, and of course he got called out. He's an engineer, so he has just a regular regular route that he does so he couldn't make it so he was trapped at the hotel basically he travels his route and once he gets to where he's going they put him in a hotel where they drop the train and everything and get to get to take eight hours off whatever and sleep before he can come back so he didn't make it over my other brother-in-law was uh, busy doing yard work yeah <laughs> he's he's really big into gardening and everything so he he couldn't make it over but my my nephew came over and we went out and bought a bunch of micro brew and some some ribeyes and made a night of it Sounds so good. to speak. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a good night. Yeah, was a good night. <laughs> so what are you currently working on? Currently? <laughs> I actually can't talk about it. I wish I could. <laughs> I'm not allowed to announce it. Somebody else has to announce it. So it's it's something that I think everybody's really going to dig. Um, um, I'm, I'm trying to dig it. I mean, it's something I wanted to do, but it's a different, uh, it's a different form. So... It's going to take me a little bit, but uh, I've got to get it done because I have a deadline for it. But uh, <laughs> as, as soon as they announce it or the editor announces it, I'll be more than glad to do another interview about it because I was, I was pretty excited about it. <laughs> you know, it was one of those things that I couldn't really turn down because I'm just kind of a fanboy. So no no spoilers, but I was just kind of a fanboy of it. So when I got asked to do it, I was kind of like, yes. So intriguing yeah i love the vague answers uh, uh <laughs> i'm sorry i mean it's, no it's, it's serious oh no he's, he's he's being very serious <laughs> one time I, we were talking we interviewed someone and uh livius asked the question of like uh can you tell us how you got started with writing and his answer was no and i thought that was just the best answer i've ever heard so, <laughs> i love i love an atypical answer to a question but uh <laughs> Well, you guys uh, will like it because I know you guys are big readers of everything, so you would definitely like it. Awesome. Before we wrap <laughs> it up for the night, uh, where can people find you and more information about your stuff online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter under uh, House of Grit. Or is it House of, is it House of Grit? Yeah, it's House of Grit. Mm-hmm. That's horrible. Don't even know my Twitter handle because it's log on. It's already there. <laughs> and I'm on Facebook, which I'm actually trying to stay away from right now so I can get some writing done. And then... Uh, uh, my blog, which is, you can basically just Google House of Grit. I think it's .blogspot.com, something like that. I, I really don't keep up with all of it. I'm a horrible blogger because <laughs> if I <laughs> blog, then I won't have any time to write because I'm, like, meticulous. It's kind of like, you know, you write something out, and then you're kind of like, well, I need to edit this, and I need to make sure nothing's misspelled because I want somebody to look under and I think I'm illiterate. So, you know, it ends up, you know, a paragraph ends up taking an hour and a half to two hours. <laughs> <laughs> you're trapped by your own craft. Right, yeah, very anal about that stuff. So, you know, I usually try to put some updates on there when I can. Cool. But uh, that's where you can find me other than, you know, visit me at work <laughs> on my day job. <laughs> Follow your, your Vine. I, I check out your Vine videos every now and then. Of... Yeah, I need to catch up back up on those. I had a lot of great ideas to do those, and <laughs> it just hasn't hasn't went through. I was, I was trying to Vine my buddy when he was tattooing me at his tattoo shop the other day, but because I was laying face down and he had my right. arm twisted and it was kind of hard to get a good angle. So I said, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> so far, the only one that the cleverest one I've come up with is, uh, I went from a beard down to like a little less facial hair and I, I did step by step through that. But, uh, that's, that's cool. Yeah. That's about it. Otherwise I just, you know, look at other people's creative stuff. They do. Mine's not really creative. It's just like boredom. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? You're just, 
Hey, I wonder if this will work. Yeah, okay. That's kind of silly. All right. Who knows? Maybe someone will watch it. Maybe they won't. <laughs> well, Frank, uh, just once more, just want to thank you for taking the time to come on and uh, and talk to us. I mean, we've known you forever, so it's that's good. We finally got you on the podcast. Oh yeah, man. I appreciate it. I really appreciate the support. I'm glad you. I'm really appreciate you coming up north. I mean, that was pretty cool. You made a little trek up to <laughs> up to Wisconsin. Big thanks to Frank Bill for joining us. Dude, how cool were some of his answers? Like, I was going to be thinking, like, oh, we're going to talk about Supernatural. I'll be like, oh, I thought it was cool. I'll admit to him. And he's like, start talking about his relatives. Like, it was just awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, having got, having seen him at that uh, that reading, there was a Q&A mm-hmm. portion, and the answers he had were very much in the style of telling a story or recalling something from his past. So I was ready for it. But, man, still, that uh, some of those answers were just so awesome. Yeah, two things. I could listen to that guy all day. You're right, because he has a very kind of storytelling style. Uh, but second of all, we had better questions than the Q&A you were at, right? Oh, of course, yeah. Okay, just checking. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. All right, and another exciting thing about this particular interview episode is it's is, uh, it's a first for us. It's the first time that we're actually going to be doing a crossover interview with Manarchy Magazine. So you may be asking yourself what that is. Um, right now, if you were to go to Manarchy Magazine, assuming it's late enough in the day and that Pelavia has been awake for a few hours, you will find um, another interview um, with Frank Bill. Just a few questions um, that we didn't ask here on the show. So you can uh, definitely head over to Manarchy Mag and check that out. Yeah, very cool. Um we don't obviously because these posts are being created a little bit simultaneously. We won't have a link for it on our website in the post for this, but uh, feel free to check us out on Facebook. I'm sure we'll link to it in our Facebook page. Uh, probably tweet it as well, um, or just go over to Manarchy Mag and uh, if it's not on the front page, you can just search booked and you'll find it that way as well. It should always be on the front page. It's part of that's our right. contract. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm really excited. And hey, guys, seriously, give uh, give Manarchy some feedback if you go read it. And uh, if people like it enough, we'll try to do it with future interviews um, as long as the guests are willing to do a little bit of extra work. That's right. Um, you can find out more about Frank at frankbillshouseofgrit.blogspot.com or just catch him on Twitter. Because apparently he's, give, he's, given up, he's given up the Facebook for uh, that Lent <laughs> thing's over, right? I don't know. Yeah, I think Lent is over with Easter, right? That's when yeah. Jesus came is back. Is that how it works? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so um, we're a little behind on this piece of news because somehow we got too tied up doing other things. But um, Amazon is uh, purchasing Goodreads. I don't even really. Do you even understand that? I mean, I, I understand the concept. I just why would they purchase Goodreads? So for me, I went through the the really the spectrum of emotions when I heard this. First of all. Um, anger, denial, yeah, shock, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, acceptance, all of those, like, yep. really, because like I was kind of upset at first because Amazon is very profit driven and and everything, and and Goodreads was just a very kind of neutral, unbiased place to have a community uh, about books, but also a place to kind of track. Uh, really, for me, it was more of a, a social tracker for books than anything. Um, so I'm like, oh, how is Amazon going to mess this up? But then I started thinking the other way, like, hey, maybe it's a good thing if, like, if I can um, tie my my Goodreads, you know, I, I don't know. Like, it seemed like maybe it, there could be advantages there. Um, but then I'm like, you know what? I don't really think it's going to matter. <laughs> it's kind of where I settled on it. Here's the only thing I come up with. And this actually I came up with it just now. I used Goodreads um, religiously before we started this podcast. Oddly enough, that's when I stopped. But um, so I just went to a Goodreads page. Apparently, um 
to get a copy under any description or rating, um, it automatically uh, generates Barnes and Noble as a link, and you have to go to like online stores to buy. Because I would say it probably links right to Amazon anyway, so I don't really see the the, the benefit. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I guess it's a Barnes and Noble is the featured company if you want to buy a title. Well, I'm sorry, were you going to keep going? No, I just just say that everything yeah. else is in a drop down list. So I guess they they just want to move Amazon into that front spot, and that's probably worth the billion dollars or whatever they're going to pay for it. Well, the um Actually, the conflict there was that um, in order for Amazon to be like a, a, a link for, for selling copies of stuff, mm-hmm. they wanted an agreement that you couldn't link to any other booksellers. Oh. So basically, they were saying it's us or nothing. And and Goodreads obviously didn't like that because they wanted to give people options of how to buy books. Mm-hmm. Um, so now Amazon buying Goodreads, I'm assuming unless they keep it very separate and unbiased, it's probably going to remove those uh, other options and just going to make it all Amazon. Yeah, I don't see that unbiased part happening. I mean, I wouldn't do it. You know no, yeah, saying? if I bought a place, I bought I'd some, be... Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that's like, why you're not going to support my competitors. <laughs> so, anyway, but that's uh, it's interesting. But no, I, I know what you meant. I, I read um, a couple of, and I don't want to say I read entire articles, but I read little pieces of articles when that news broke. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was... This is horrible. This might be okay. It's going to happen. It doesn't matter. Who cares? I mean, I saw the, like you said, the entire range of emotions yeah. from different from different folks. I was <laughs> in that um, I really don't care kind of. Well, selfishly, I was thinking to myself, well, people always ask for reviews on Amazon. And I'm like, uh, you know, I put it on Goodreads, and I don't want to just keep going around paste copy-pasting the same thing all over the place. So maybe now they'll just feed good read reviews into Amazon pages and then I don't have to worry about it. It's going to be like killing two birds with one stone. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I know that that, I don't remember who it was. Maybe it was Neil Smith that was saying something like your book actually gets treated differently if you have, and I think it's like 20 or 25 reviews on Amazon yeah. that somehow it has higher visibility. Yeah. And it opens so, you up to different. Um, I think it opens you up to different promotional opportunities like um, free giveaways and all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, my, you know, my thought on that is right. Like we already spent like an hour talking about the book. You spend another, you know, hour or two editing it and posting it and promoting it. Like we've done our part. No Amazon yeah. reviews for anybody. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's how I feel. Like if someone wants to like be a real hero and take our reviews and post them on Amazon for us more, more than, you know, that's fine. They can do that, but I'm done. <laughs> now, if Amazon buys us, I fully expect that we won't even do this anymore. We'll just type out these conversations on Amazon as a review. Sure. I'm down for that too. If we get our 1 billion. Yeah. Yeah. We may have to negotiate a little bit. So <laughs> I have no idea where we're going. I'll, you know what? I'll go with them. You know, hundred million. I'll, I'll talk about that's 10%. <laughs> Of what they're buying Goodreads for. Nowadays, man, if someone's like, listen, I got $200 in cash and here's a couple packs of cigarettes, I'd have to consider it. Yeah. Well, well, that raises an interesting question. How much would someone pay for Booked? Let's not ask that question because there are (laughs) answers we don't want to hear. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) All I know is that uh, Skip Papersley will not be going along with that sale. He is his own separate entity. So if you're looking at making a bid for book to know that you will separately have to buy the services of this young man, Skip Papersley. This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. Now for the news. Scientists studying word aversion, that disgusting feeling you get when you hear certain words you dislike by their sound alone, 
believe that word aversion is similar to a phobia. People who dislike words like moist, ointment, puke, vomit, crevice, crud, moist, brainchild, navel, scab, panties, and moist are actually afraid of those words, making this the scariest book news in history. Continuing with spooky news, horror novelist Dean Kuntz announced that his real name is actually Dan Kuntz, and that the name Dean Kuntz was a typo. He claims he was so nervous they'd pull his first book off the shelf he didn't want to make a fuss. Dan Kuntz is currently working on a new religious thriller with author Dean Brown. Now, the New York Times bestsellers in fiction recap. Number five on the list, but number one in my list of favorite wives is Gillian Flynn with Gone Girl. Leaving everything you most loved, including the number one spot, is Jacqueline Winspear at number four. Emily Strout has a weird last name and is number three with the Burgess Boys. It took Harlan Coben five months to write six years and one week for it to fall to number two. The top spot this week is Book Eleven in the Black Dagger Brotherhood, J.R. Ward's Lover at Last, which sounds way sexier than it actually is. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papersley, signing off. All right. Uh, the, you want to know what I think the only thing that's more terrifying than uh, saying moist over and over is? What's that? A new Dan Brown book. Wait, wait, there's one thing that's more terrible. We're going to review it. <laughs> that's right. Uh, <laughs> I forgot all about that until he mentioned it. But yeah, I think that's on our calendar, isn't it? It certainly is. You know, I'll tell you, and I'll be honest right now, I don't mind the Dan Brown books. The last one I thought was really weak. But um, uh, beyond that, I'm okay with Dan Brown. I, I'm not a hater. What did he, he did, um, what was the last one called? Oh, I don't remember. It was Something terrible. Code something code no Da Vinci not Da Vinci code <laughs> no it's not called something code it's all code cipher something I don't know but it's anyway. all code for something I'm pulling it up I remember what it was about but um and some of it was really interesting um, but um uh the lost symbol there it is see symbol code it's all the same did thing. you did you read the lost symbol no no I didn't okay um, there's some really interesting stuff in there not to get off the skip papersly subject but um the thing about his books are that as stories I think they're just eh but it's the content that goes into it. So he spent a lot of time and I don't have any of the information in front of me, but um, he, in the book, he uh, kind of analyzes the scientific study of the supernatural. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like they document how um, there actually is likely a human soul because of the, there's a minuscule amount of weight that disappears at the time of someone's death. So they, right. you know, it, it, right. it's that type of thing like ESP but it's the science that studies those things I thought it was just absolutely fascinating so mm-hmm. his stuff's always interesting to me just from a story standpoint it's kind of bland <laughs> and um, if I'm correct the the next Dan Brown book the one that we're going to be reading is the third Robert was it Langdon it would be the fourth one fourth yes. wait yeah. what was the Angels, Angels and, and Demons. Demons the Da Vinci Code uh-huh. the Lost Symbol oh Lost Symbol was part of it yep oh, do I need to read it no Okay. <laughs> no, you no. Just, I, none of his other ones have had any real tie-in to the previous one. Cool. All you need to know is Langdon has been on some adventures, and that he kind of can decipher symbology, symbiosis, something or another. Symbols. Yes. 
<laughs> Very good. All right, that's cool. That's all you need to know, man. I don't have it on hand to tell you what it's called, but it's coming, and we're going to be reviewing it right here on Booked. That's right. But there's going to be some stuff that comes before then. Inferno, I think it's called. It is called Inferno. Very good. Um, but yeah, there's going to be some episodes in between then. Actually, probably quite a few. I think it's about at least a month out. Mm-hmm. Uh, including including uh, what's coming up next, which uh, could be could very well be our review of uh, the stud book uh, if if Monica Drake interrupts our interview series, or it could be Brian. Uh, <laughs> our, <laughs> our interview of uh, Brian Evanson, who did the novelization of the Rob Zombie uh, movie, Lords of Salem. Um, you know, sorry. I've been working at the same place for five years, and I guarantee you I have coworkers that have never heard me laugh. But <laughs> some things about this show, man. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, stud book. Um, Brian Evanson. Uh, I'm going to go even a little further. Uh, Rob Roberge. We're going to be reviewing his new book in the upcoming weeks. Um, lots of cool stuff coming up. That's right. Yeah. I'm done, man. How do you feel? Don't sound so excited. <laughs> You're like, yep, yeah. I got good stuff coming. Well, once we once I once we get through some of the upcoming episode, um, I'll probably have my enthusiasm will, will come back. All right. Well, hopefully, until then, go back and listen to some more <laughs> enthusiastic episodes. That's right. Until next time, I'm Livius Nedden. and I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. What about being-